0: So Costco starts selling Christmas trees in August. You can find an eggnog latte by mid-October. And some people you know might start playing their Christmas songs the moment the last trick-or-treater leaves their doorstep. But I don't know about you, uh, for me, and maybe it's my, just my childhood, but it's like the page turning from November to December is when the feeling of Christmas really begins to come on. We're looking forward to Christmas. Probably my American upbringing. Uh, Thanksgiving was the last Thursday of November, complete with a day full of feasting and football games, my dad yelling at the television screen, tuning in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and then as a kid in Colorado, knowing that come December, we could expect for sure the first snowfall of the season and it really felt like Christmas was on its way. Well, this year, Advent actually started a little earlier into November, last weekend. And so we kicked it off last Sunday night with an evening of carols and hot chocolate. And if you've not been by the Downs Road campus, you need to drive by completely decked out with lights. And so the big tree was lit up, a great evening. And despite the incessant pounding in our brain that COVID is still with us, there is this sense of anticipation that I see on people's faces and I hear in their voices. And maybe it's because we are so hungry for some good news, some encouragement, some hope. And the Christmas season is really about those words, love, joy, peace, hope. That God entered human history to fix the mess that we find ourselves in and that this is the hope of Christmas. This is the season of Advent. And maybe it's more real this year, simply because last year was such a gong show, Christmas that was really such a non-event, as we were literally shut out of our churches entirely. Our families were still in that sort of that safe six zone, just your own intimate family gatherings, you couldn't have people in, travel was effectively shut down, and watching Christmas services online just was so surreal. Now, I know that we're not completely out of the woods yet. There are still some restrictions, but this year's different. We can gather. Uh, Yes, it'll be in smaller groups, so we'll have a lot more services in smaller groups, but we can meet together to praise God. We can join with our family. People are traveling, some from even around the world, and it feels more like a little light in the darkness. And that metaphor of light in the darkness, you well know, is one of the primary metaphors that describe the work of Jesus. He is called the light of the world, that he came to bring light into our dark world, that in the midnight seasons of our life, we have this sense that a a candle is being lit. And maybe precisely because of this long winter darkness that we have been living in, we cling to the Christmas story and the hope that Jesus can fix this mess. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Jesus coming to earth and what He came to accomplish through the lens of three Old Testament characters, Adam, Abraham, and David. Three very simple stories, three basic gospel messages, that what these men were unable to accomplish was fully accomplished in the life of Jesus, that Jesus was the true and better, Adam. Abraham and David. If you want a theological term for it, that that neat-neck term, it's called typology. Uh, Baker's Bible Dictionary defines it this way, a type is a biblical event, person, or institution which serves as an example or pattern for other events, persons, or institutions. In other words, one event, one person, one happening can point to someone else. So, simply put, all of Scripture points us to Jesus. He is the central character of the entire Bible. He's the fulfillment of the promises of God. When Paul was writing to the Colossians, he said, all that Old Testament system, the ceremonies, the sacrificial system, the holy days, the feasts, and the festivals, they're just shadows. They're just shadows, but the true reality, the substance, is found in Jesus. And when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. All God's promises. They find their fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ. So in other words, every section of scripture, every theme of scripture, every major image in scripture, every deliverance story in scripture points us to Jesus. Tim Keller, uh, in his little book, simply titled Preaching, says this, that all the major figures and leaders of the scriptures point us to Christ, the ultimate leader, who calls out and forms a people of God. All anointed leaders in the Bible, every prophet, priest, king, and judge who brings about salvation or deliverance or redemption of any kind or level, all point to Christ in their strengths, and even in their flaws. Jesus is the hero of every story. Now, that word advent simply means the arrival. And the advent that we anticipate, the arrival that we anticipate, is not only that Jesus arrived, but the reason for his arrival. That he would fix our broken world and our broken lives. Or in the terminology in today's story, that He could undo the curse that hangs over humanity. You see, today we're in Romans 5, and we're going to start where the Bible starts, with the father of the human race, a man named Adam. And then look forward to Jesus, who's identified as the second Adam. And what we're going to see is that what Adam did can only be undone by what Jesus did. And we're really focusing on just two verses in Romans 5, verse 12 and verse 19. And we're going to frame it around three thoughts, and they are these. The legacy that Adam gives to us, the life that Jesus Christ offers us, and then the response that's required of us. The legacy Adam gave us, the gift Jesus gives us, and the response that's required. But if you wanted to summarize it down to just one sentence, it could be a statement like this, that Jesus came to do what Adam did not do, and He came to undo what Adam did. That Jesus came to do what Adam did not do, and He came to undo what Adam did. So first, let's look at that legacy the legacy that Adam gave us. Romans 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now I know that that's not a really encouraging place to start, I get it. And I don't know what you see when you look back in your family tree because some of you may come from families with great stories. Awesome parents and extended families and legacies of faithful, kind, and generous ancestors. And others of you, it might be the total opposite. You'd rather not talk about all the craziness in your family history. Uh, The the craziest family story that we have dug up so far on on my family side is my dad's mother's side, the Stockwell branch of our family tree that back in 1600, apparently, one of our great-great-granddaddies was shanghaied on a ship from Scotland. Now, I don't know if that term is even politically correct anymore. But back in the day, what it meant was if a captain of a boat was short of deckhands, He would go out into the pubs and the bars of the city and he might get someone drunk or even drug them and then take them literally as captives on the boat and they would be his indentured servants. Or better yet, someone who wanted to purchase their passage on that ship could bring a friend along and sell them into indentured servitude. They would serve for three years on that ship and that would pay the passage for their friend, we don't know the details, but somewhere in the 1600s, one of my great granddaddies was shanghaied and he landed in America. Now, I know you're glad he did because otherwise I might not be here. Anyway, crazy family stories. But what this text points us to is the macro story of all of our lives, our shared family history. Paul is pointing us back to what's recorded in the book of Genesis, and in about 25 words, he summarizes the greatest tragedy of the human life. When our great-grandfather Adam shook his fist, turned his back, and rebelled against God, and he plunged the entire family into sin and darkness, we live under a curse, a family curse. Romans 5.12 is really Ancestry.com. It summarizes our family story. That this is our legacy. This is our family tree. This is our inheritance. This is our family curse. That because of our father Adam's rebellion, the default setting for our lives has been set. The hard drive comes with the preferences to sin and rebellion. This is your problem and it's also my problem, that we're born with a sin nature. We are born in sin, and we are predisposed to sin. We're born selfish, self-centered, and sinful, and we must have that trained out of us. Is there a parent listening to this message that has ever had to teach their child that seems like that first word that comes out of their mouth? No! What parent teaches a child that? Now, increasingly, and you've probably heard this, in our day, there are voices who are saying, no, 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 you Christians have it all wrong. That teaching, that doctrine of original sin, that's not true at all. Humans by nature are inherently good. You just have to mine out their human goodness. And and whenever I hear people say stuff like that, I wonder, did you never have children? One of my favorite quotes from Chuck Colson, uh, when he's talking about parenting, he says this, parents... Take small self-centered monsters who spend much of their time screaming defiantly and hurling peas on the carpet and teach them to share, to wait their turn, to respect others' property. You see, those beautiful innocent children that we bring home from the maternity ward turn into tiny terrorists by the time they reach age two. You've probably seen the poster or a t-shirt or a coffee mug somewhere with this saying on it, that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. Well, what we know from the first chapters of the Bible is that Adam and Eve are provided with everything they need to flourish. They are placed in this beautiful garden paradise called Eden, and they're given the mandate to work it, to cultivate it, to rule over it, to subdue it. And in this innocence and in this intimacy between both God and one another we can only imagine a world without sin, without shame or guilt or fear, no hiding. And God gives Adam just one rule in saying that your loyalty, your obedience will be tested by just this one, thou shalt not Genesis 2:16 and the Lord God commanded the man saying You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Now, if you've read the account, you know what happens. That by an act of his own free will, Adam reaches out his hand and takes that fruit. And by his actions, he is declaring, my will be done. My will be done, not your will. And in that moment, Adam dies, and death becomes our legacy. Now, now someone right now might argue, no, no, he didn't die, he didn't drop dead, their their life carries on, and they have children, and the human race comes from them. But you see, Scripture uses death in three distinct ways, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death, and, and all of them refer to a state of separation. Now, we understand it, physical death, very, very well. When someone we love passes, we understand the barrier that is raised up. We can no longer communicate with them. We are separated from them. There is a sense of loss and grief. We are cut off from them, separated. And spiritually, in the same way, when we sin against God, we're cut off from Him. Uh, Even in our own relationships with one another, if you lie to me, or if I steal from you, Something is broken in our relationship. We're we're cut off from one another. There's a barrier. We're separated. There's death in our relationship. And then ultimately the Bible says if we don't deal with these problems, we will be separated. We will die eternally. We will be cut off from God for all of eternity. And so as the result of Adam's rebellion, death entered every relationship, and it is called the curse. And if you read in Genesis 3, God says to Adam, your work is going to be cursed. It will be marked by toil and struggle. It'll be an uphill battle. And to the woman, he said, in childbearing and raising those kids, it is now going to be marked with a curse of pain and hardship, and your intimacy as a couple is now cursed. Instead of living in beautiful harmony, there's going to be this constant striving between you to dominate over one another. And even the serpent receives a curse, and and what we sometimes call the first gospel, actually. He has said, you're going to crawl along the, the earth eating dust, and one day a descendant from this couple is going to arrive who will crush you under his feet. That is your curse, Satan. One will come to undo what Adam did. Now, I don't have to argue this point with you because all of you who are honest know what sin does. We have all seen its effect. We know that sin kills, it destroys, it separates. Even creation itself came under the curse. The terra firma on which we walk was plunged into darkness and decay. Cursed is the ground because of you, God said. And it's amazing thought that every natural disaster, every plague, every pandemic, every famine, every hundred year flood, every earthquake, is the result of the curse on creation because of Adam's rebellion. Romans 8 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now." These last few weeks here in the Lower Mainland, we have certainly seen and heard the groaning of creation around us. We live in a cursed world. We live among a cursed people. Every Christmas, we inevitably will sing the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. And verse 3 picks up this theme when it says, no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And someone might ask, well, how far does the curse go? How far reaching is it? Writing on the subject Albert Moeller says this, where is the curse found? Everywhere we look. We see the curse and its mag- malignant effects. How far does it extend? To every atom and molecule of creation from coast to coast, shore to shore, sky to sky and to every square inch of the planet. That's how far the curse Is found. Now that's the Coles notes on our family history. It's the legacy that Adam left us with, that we're born into a world that's under a condemnation edict. Born into darkness, sin, and rebellion. Our lives are cursed. That Adam made a choice and we were implicated in his decision. But praise God, it doesn't end there. In Romans 5, 12 to 19, we see this contrast. What Adam did and how we were implicated and then what Jesus did and how by what he accomplished, the curse can be undone. So if you jump down to verse 18, chapter 5, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What it points us to is the life that Jesus offers us. And maybe you saw it as we read it, that verse 12 and 18 are like mirror images. Verse 12 says, Sin came through one man, insert the name Adam, and as a result, all are made sinners. Verse 18 is the equal but the opposite image, that life comes through one man, insert the name Jesus, and as a result, many are made righteous. You see, in these verses, Paul is making the contrast between these two men and their two gifts that they gave us, that that Adam gave us the gift of sin and death, and it reigned over our lives. And that Jesus gives us the gift of forgiveness and freedom, a new life, a fresh start. If you're scanning the text, you'll see three times it says, death reigned over us, death reigned over us, death reigned over us. But you also see three times there's a free gift there's a free gift. There is a free gift. What Father Adam may have left us is this legacy of sin and death. But Jesus offers us forgiveness and life. And verse 19 is really the summary statement of this text. And it says there, for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus was the true and better Adam. What Adam failed to do, Jesus did. What Adam did, Jesus has undone. Adam's actions plunged us into separation from God and one another. Jesus' actions opened the way for reconciliation between God and one another. In the Garden of Eden, Adam said, My will be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Thy will be done. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So what does it mean for you and me? Well, the simple answer is this, that there's an offer on the table. And the question is, what will you do with it? Because the underlying implication of this text is it's not just a history lesson that a response is required from us. The overarching story is that you can live in the legacy that Adam has left us, or you can step into new life and freedom that Jesus offers us. But a question, an invitation, a decision remains. And if we pull out of Romans 5 for a moment and we look at the greater context of this book of Scripture, the book of Romans, Paul is taking on a long discussion with the church at Rome, answering this basic question how is it that people can get right with God? How is it that we can be in right relationship with God? And his answer is that salvation comes through the gospel. He said in the first chapter of this book, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And he goes on to say, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. What's the gospel? What's the good news? Most of you have heard this many times. But it is this story that when we were in our rebellion, when we were his enemies, Jesus took it upon himself to make a way for us. And what we were powerless to do for ourselves, Jesus did on our behalf. He came and lived the perfect life that none of us have been able to live. And then he died willingly the death that you and I should have died. And he rose victorious over sin and death and the grave. And we know now he is seated at the Father's hand and he literally is praying for us in this moment. That is the gospel, that is the good news. And Romans 3 makes it so clear that we are all in the same sinking boat. We're all from the same family tree. And whether you see yourself as a rebellious person, or a respectable citizen, or even a religious person, the conclusion in Romans 3 is the same, that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. There's not a man or woman or boy or girl that has ever lived a sinless life except one, and his name was Jesus. And thanks to our father Adam, that's the legacy that we were given, and it's the legacy that we choose of our own free will. But thanks be to God that Jesus doesn't leave us there. In Romans 3.21 it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, and we are asked the question, are you a sinner? It is going to be the shortest conversation that we have ever had. Guilty as charged. But what Paul reminds us is that Jesus Christ has undone the curse of Adam over our lives that the rightful death penalty that stood over our lives has been taken away in the sacrificial death of Jesus, that the wrath of God, the rightful wrath of God towards the rebelliousness of humanity was satisfied in Jesus' perfect substitution. And there is now, as Romans 8 says, no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. The transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is wide open. The door, the gate, the way, the path, it stands open. But it's not automatic. The gospel, you see, demands a response. And there's a formula, and we see it throughout the scripture, and here's the formula. You hear the gospel, and you believe the gospel, you receive the gospel, and you are granted life. That by God's grace, you hear. By God's grace, you believe. By God's grace, you say yes, and receive the gospel the legacy that Adam gave us, the life that Jesus offers us, and the response that is required of us. Because you see, at some point along the journey of our life, we all come to face this question, what have you done with Jesus? What will we do with what Jesus has done? How do we respond to his invitation to turn our backs on our old way of living and to follow after Jesus? This year, as you sing those words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Could you ask yourself the question, have I made room for this king? Let earth receive her king. Have I made room? In the most basic terms, what Adam did was credited to our account. And what Jesus did can be credited to our account. Our father, Adam, passed along the family DNA, and Jesus invites us to be adopted into a new family. And in the most pointed words, he had a conversation in John 3 saying, You must be born again. You must start your life over. Not in the literal physical sense, but in a spiritual rebirth sense acknowledging that your life is cursed by sin, confessing that what the Bible says about you is true, and then turning in faith to the only one who can truly save. This is the message of the Gospel. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the great reversal, that Jesus came to fix what Adam broke, that our earthly father got us in this mess, and our spiritual father gets us out, born into a cursed life but born again into new life. This weekend, across our Abbotsford services, we are gonna get to witness 25 baptisms. And it's great timing, given the text that we've just looked at. Because the declaration that each person who steps into the waters of baptism is making is that my old life was headed nowhere fast, but that in Christ, I've been given a new life. The old one has passed away. It's dead, buried, and gone. I've turned from that way of living and now I have turned to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans 6 goes on to say this that all of us who were baptized are baptized into the death of Christ. And that we are raised up out of those waters. It's a picture that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so we walk in new resurrection life. In other words, you can start over. Your family legacy might be filled with sin and rebellion. It is. But you can be born again. You can have a fresh start. The message requires a response. Two responses. We receive it. Have you done that? We receive it. How about you? And secondly, we rejoice in it. Over and over and over again, that's why David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. So before we hear a few testimonies from the baptisms in the services, I need to ask you this question of whether you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And someone might be saying, well, how would I know that? And here's the good news, the gift is free. It's emphasized three times in this text, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. You simply say yes. I believe it, I receive it. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, and you receive the gospel. Can I ask you this question? Does any of this make sense to you? Does it match your life experience? As we talk about Adam's rebellion and the curse that fell on the human race, do you recognize those family traits in yourself? Have you seen the effects of sin on your own life and the people around you? Are you tired of the mess that we live with for the greater part of our lives? Are you ready to start fresh? Because I need to invite you to do that. I need to invite you to respond to the gospel. I need to invite you to say yes to Jesus. And Christian friend, I need to remind you and invite you to rejoice every day in the joy of your salvation. You see, what Adam did can only be undone by what Jesus did. Will you believe it? Will you receive it? You know, for some of you, it's as simple as going to God in a prayer and saying something like this, that, thank you, Jesus, that you did come to earth. Thank you that you died for my sins and my place. Thank you that you offer me this gift of life. And today, Lord, I am simply saying yes to you. I'm turning away from my old life, I'm turning away from my sin, and I am intentionally turning towards you. I want to walk with you, I want to obey you, I want to follow you. And so today I'm making a declaration of faith that you, Jesus Christ, will be my Lord. That I belong to you and I will follow you. And maybe this crazy Christmas season we find ourselves in could be marked by the greatest joy of your lifetime. Not because of our circumstances, of course, but because of the gift of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, you know the darkness that we have seemed to be living in these last couple years not just COVID, but so many world events around us, and then events in our own families, and the various tragedies of daily life, and then the macro stories of our culture. And Father, it seems some days that the the darkness is oppressive, and we need that light of the gospel to be lit in our hearts. And so Lord, I pray for the men and women who are listening to this message, wherever they are and whatever their circumstances are, Lord, I pray that you would reach into their homes, reach into their hearts, and that you would ignite in them a passion for this new life that is offered to them in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they could understand that they wouldn't be proud that they could admit that their family tree as well is cursed by this curse of sin, that they would recognize it in their own heart and in their own family, and that they would realize they can't fix it themselves. And then Jesus, I pray that you would open up their eyes, open up their heart, open up their ears, that they could understand that you undid what Adam had done, that you can set them free. And Lord, that maybe even this week will be a, a day of salvation for many, many people. And Lord, as we head into Christmas over these next three weeks, as we anticipate gathering together on Christmas Eve for these great celebrations, may you indeed be our hope, our joy, our love, our peace in this season that we so desperately need We thank you for all of those blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen.